Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're here in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are T-minus one week away from the NHL draft. And that means we got to hear from the uh, Canucks general manager today. Sad, he's already spoken with the media, and we'll yep. have him here on Canucks Central in a few moments. Yes, and uh, before we get to him, like you mentioned, we have some things to dig into because he met with the media, had mm-hmm. a comprehensive availability of 25 minutes. We do not have 25 minutes of time with the uh, general manager. So uh, let's run through some of the things that we're we're probably not going to touch on because he spoke quite a bit on the OEL stuff, which I thought was fascinating too in terms of why it happened and when it happened. And the question is, in general, anytime Patrick Alvin speaks because he's so coy in terms of giving you anything, very cagey. Yep. But uh, provided some insight on it. It's uh, the first time we got to hear from Patrick since uh, OEL was bought out. So here's what he had to say on why the decision was made. Now, even though back at the end of the season, he mentioned it was not his intention to have to use buyouts over the course of this offseason. Here is Patrick Aldine. I had a uh, constant conversation with, with his camp about the situation and the performance of uh, OEL. Uh, going back to last January, and there was no difference uh, at this exit meetings than, than last year. I think OEL, um, he's a great person. Um, he's been good here in the dressing room and in the community, uh, but just his performance on the ice and, and uh, the, the size of the contract, too, made it uh, a little bit complicated uh, at this point. The size of the contract, the fit on the team made it difficult for Oliver Ekman Larson to remain on this team. So this was the best course of action and it's nothing we haven't really discussed over the last number of days, but when you get to hear it from the general manager himself, it does ring a little bit truer sat, you know, there's obvious financials that go into this and the amount of money he was going to be paid over the next two years and all these different types of things. Sure. But the fact remained no matter what they did, no matter how they thought about building out this team over the next couple of years, Oliver Ekman Larson was always going to be a tough fit on this roster, and the general manager admitted that admitted that much today. And one thing I want to get into with Patrick when he comes on is kind of dig in into a bit more detail to what he mentioned for what they're looking for with defensemen. They want some defensive defensemen and guys that can play certain roles. And, I, and I kind of, it kind of tells you about OEL, and he mentioned it too, that he's not on the first unit power play. He's not even the second power play option with Philip Aronik being here. And if he's not able to kill penalties effectively, which he wasn't, he really struggled, and he's not really great defensively, then he's not really a fit. And you can't have a guy be your third pair sheltered lefty defenseman making seven million. Even if you if you even so if you had like all the cap space in the world, maybe you can live with it for a bit. But it still doesn't make sense because what that also does, and this is something that Patrick referred to and we'll talk to him as well, is the number of young defensemen that he believes in on this team and says, we believe these guys deserve opportunities and we think they can buy for spots. And if you have OEL as your seventh defenseman or you know sixth or your third pair lefty, yep, like you're, he's, he's also blocking a lot of guys from getting chances. It's... It just just didn't make a lot of sense hockey-wise and, like you mentioned, business-wise. There's, you know, so much in there. And, uh, you know, the the fact that you have Quinn Hughes, it sort of 
takes away or it neuters Oliver Ekman Larson's number one ability as a player, and that is being a power play quarterback and yeah. you know being able to generate points. He was just never going to be that guy on this team. And Patrick Alvin, you know, he didn't acquire Oliver Ekman Larson. It wasn't his trade that he made. He was forced to try and work around that contract being on this roster. He mentioned from day one, they tried to talk with his camp and try to find some solutions, but he had the no move clause. Yeah. You know, there's only so much you can do when the player has that level of, you know, uh, say in the situation. It came down to the owner signing off on it. And he, and I think it was notable when he mentioned, you know, we appreciate the ownership doing everything possible for us to win a Stanley Cup and doing, you know, being able, being willing to do this, which tells you that that's who you have to convince. Like, if you wanted this buyout to get done, you have to convince the owner. It's not like any owner just signs off freely. And, and I think it was notable he kind of mentioned that, you know, we have to sit here and discuss this and, and in discussions with owner, and it's very nice that he's yeah. able to do this. You have to build a case for this and have him believe in your plan and believe the reasons why you want this, and he signed off on it. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were kind of coy about it all along because you don't want to push for something unless you know you can actually get the approval for it. So there was uh, that on Oliver Ekman Larson. And um, you know, it's one thing we'll, we'll follow up with Patrick when we get to speak with him. But you know, that's essentially what he said on why that decision was made, even though, as mentioned earlier, and as we've talked about, you know, the intention going into the offseason was not to have to use buyouts for this team. Um one other thing uh, that we'll talk about, obviously, the draft mm-hmm. is coming up. And Patrick mentioned wanting to move up from 11, potentially. And uh, we'll dive into this more as we go on in the show. But it was, uh, for a, a general manager that doesn't always give us a ton of information, uh, he was pretty forthright about giving us that going into now a week out from the NHL entry draft. He knew what he was saying, right? And, and the best part about it, because I was watching the availability via stream. Mm-hmm. So the whole time he has this really stoic look on his face, talking about the OEL thing. And he he, he wasn't pensive, but kind of, you know, very guarded and, and very stoic and, and very cold. And, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just, you know, that, that's just how his demeanor was. And as soon as the first question and the, the conversation shifted towards the draft, he, he lit up, like his eyes lit up. He started smiling and smirking. And even before the question was asked, it's like he, he had in his mind, he wanted yep. to say something about, hey, maybe we move up. And he mentioned how, hey, there's been a lot of interest in the number 11 pick and all this sort of stuff and all that. So I thought that was really notable. So we'll ask him for sure about the draft. And that's one thing that I'm really interested about is what is their plan here when it comes to the pick? He doesn't give us a lot, but I, I think that, them not having to use that pick to get off salary mm-hmm. anymore has them open for a lot of different possibilities. Uh, it's uh, one of the many options the Canucks have going into next week's NHL entry draft, but they do have the 11th overall selection. And we'll see if they do intend to use that there or maybe somewhere else in the first round of the draft. You know what? Let's bring in the general manager now it is Patrick Alvine, Canucks general manager, joining us here on Canucks Central. Thanks for this, Patrick. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing uh, we're doing really well. Week out from the draft, we're uh, we're all pretty excited. We all got our mock drafts going. Uh, how are you feeling about uh, the festivities a week away? Uh, you know what? I, I'm uh, I'm excited about next week in Nashville. Um, I think our scouting staff have done a really good job uh, during the. During the year and, and uh, leading up to this process, and 
uh, our list will not be finalized until we're on the draft floor there. So there's still some work to be done, uh, but I'm very excited for the job Todd Harvey and, and Cameron Granado and Derek Clans have done. So, so you mentioned the draft list isn't quite nailed down, although you probably have a pretty good rough idea on it, of it. Uh, considering the types of players we see in this year's draft, especially outside the top two or three, I mean, you know, from our untrained outside eyes, we have a hard time figuring out who's the best from number, say, five to number 15, for instance. Uh, how interesting have the conversations and debates be, been in your draft room about ranking these players, the top guys? Yeah, I, I think you guys are fairly right. It's been uh, it, it definitely has been an interesting debate and, and uh, uh, an interesting process too. Uh, I think that's uh, you know it seems like uh, you know those uh, those there's a lot of players that that have uh, really intriguing qualities of uh, being top end players in the in in the National Hockey League in a couple of years and. Uh, it definitely needs to be a detailed and thorough uh, process uh, uh, going through the list, doing the list here, and our guys have done a really good job in that regard. How important is the the interview process with some of these potential draft choices? Um, you know, whether it's at the combine in, in Buffalo or if you get a chance to to see a player in the lead up to the draft uh, in in Nashville, just a, an opportunity to get to know the player and maybe a little bit more of their character beyond just what they can do on the ice. Yeah, I think it's really important. I, I think there's one thing what you see on the eyes, but you also need to know the the, the person behind the mask there. Uh, what character, uh, all the due diligence stuff, uh, the background, um, you know, is it growth? Uh, you know, can this kid grow uh, uh, over the next couple of years? Does he have the ability to put on strength, muscles, weight? Uh, uh, is there any red flags in in the in the in in the off ice stuff? Uh, and that, those are the things that uh, we rely a lot on the area guys to uh, to have every everything in the book. Well, and uh, during your media availability, uh, you kind of—I mean—you you were bombarded with OEL questions. We'll have a one or two about those two coming up in a bit. So don't feel like you got away scot-free necessarily. But nonetheless, you really lit up when talking about the draft, and you really lit up when talking about potentially moving up in the draft. And a couple of times brought it up as well. How much of that is something you love to do, or something that you know could be a real possibility for you guys? Yeah, uh, good, good question. I, I think my job is to. Uh, you know, have the pulse around the league, what's going on. Um, you know, if there is an opportunity to move up and what the cost is uh, related to that, but also include my, my, uh, my scouting staff here. Uh, I trust them. Uh, they know the players better than me. So um, it, we're not just moving up for the purpose of moving up or, or moving down for the purpose of collecting more picks. We, we want to make sure we get a, uh, a quality player here. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, if we end up picking at 11, I, I have a lot of trust and faith in, in my staff that we're, we're going to get a good player. Even uh, to, to, to maybe add a, a second round draft choice is you know, moving up doesn't have to be just from 11. Uh, do you think you could uh, maybe do some, uh, you know, moving and shaking uh, elsewhere in the draft? Um. It, it could be. And I think that would probably start, uh, you know, uh, more in-depth conversations as, as closer we get to the draft floor. 
Um, as of now, uh, we, we got a couple of extra picks in, in the third and fourth round, and uh, I think our, our scouts have identified a couple of players of interest in, in those mid-round uh, mid picks. Is, is that something that if you know a player that's still high on your board is, is available there in round two and you're like, can, can we make this happen? Is that sort of the situation that has to happen while you're at the draft table? Yes. Uh, you definitely want to see uh, what's left after the first day, and and if there is uh, someone there that uh, that my staff are, are uh, you know pounding the table for, thinking that that would be a, 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 a wor- worth uh, trading up for, uh, definitely those conversations usually start uh, uh, the night after the first round and leading up to the second round in the morning. Oh, and as far as. Um positional importance and there are a few centers or a few righty defensemen when you see that type that type of player profile be available and there are a few of them how much does that come into weighing the value of a player who's available in the draft yeah that's definitely something we we uh, uh use our analytic uh, uh staff and and uh, uh in the end of the day I, you know when when the players that were picking this year's draft they might play uh you know, three, four, five years from now, and a lot of things could change on on the big uh, on the big team on the roster wise uh, uh, in a couple of years. So, our approach is always to take the best player available uh, regarding the position. I know you've uh, already answered a lot of questions on uh, the decision to buy out Oliver Ekman Larson, but one one thing that stood out to me, you mentioned. He was not a, a great fit, and that's part of the reason you went about making this decision. What exactly did you mean by that, and, and why it was so hard to get Oliver to, to fit, to better fit this roster? Well, I, I don't think he was a bad fit. Uh, it was just like his, his, his uh, obviously, his strength over the years have been in the offensive, in the offensive end of the game. And uh, uh, for us, having a Elite defenseman, uh, in my opinion, should have been uh, been in the Norris Trophy. Quinn Hughes, who who eats a lot of ice time on the power play, um, the addition of Philip Ronick uh, just just made it hard for us uh, to find the quality uh, ice time needed for for OEL and and also uh, you know his, his over the last couple of years his his performance here uh, for some reason. Uh, uh, the fit wasn't really here uh, in Vancouver, um, so uh, definitely not a, a, an easy decision. But we felt uh, strongly that this uh, this will improve our, our team uh, uh, with the cap flexibility coming up next year and and, and the year after, and also uh, gives us a chance to plan uh, for, for a long term uh, view of it as well. Well, you mentioned the fit, and the thing that comes to mind when we discuss the team, obviously, and we look at the team, is that having guys that can do more specific roles, like, you know, having guys on the PK, for instance, or guys that are more, better at the PK, not being forced to play PK minutes. So now that you have Heronic, you have Hughes, you're looking at, you mentioned, more defensive type of defensemen. Not that it's easy to find those types of players, but is it easier to go about identifying the type of player and the type of defenseman that you can acquire to kind of fill those roles for you now? Um, yeah, and, and I think again that's part of the process that we're asking our pro, pro scouting staff to, uh, you know, have a have a good feel for for the league and their teams that they, they cover. Um, then again, you know, that if if 
certain players become available uh, through uh, trades or, or free agency. Uh, we always uh, want to make sure we, we take a look at it and, and if it makes sense uh, to improve our team, we're, we want to be a part of it. What's on your wish list of, of additions now that you've got some flexibility here going into trade season and free agency? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I need to uh, provide you my wish list <laughs> as I do to, the, to Santa Claus there. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what, I, I'm in, uh, you know, talking and I, uh, uh, we have ongoing discussions and I always run names uh, with my, with my uh, coaching staff that, uh, that comes up and, and want to make sure that the, uh, the way we want to play that that fits in what they 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 want and their needs, uh, uh, you know. And and again, uh, the, the, the hopefully things will start picking up a little bit more here uh, as we're leading up to next week in Nashville. But uh, um, so far, again, I've been very pleased with the process of of my staff here. And as far as just in general, like this is more of like a maybe philosophical question about building uh, teams and and having types of players they need to have. Would you prefer to have more players who are more versatile on the roster, especially up front, who can who can do more things? Like if they are a center, they can PK. If they are a winger, they can do certain responsibilities. And do do you put more importance in in having more positional versatility with your forwards? Um, a little bit more, maybe in the bottom six. I think we were scoring wasn't really an issue for us we had several guys that that were capable of putting a puck in net or or power play has been really good since i got in here um it's just we need to improve uh or pk um and i do think that we the way that that target want to have is open for that kind of hybrid uh player that could uh that could uh take faceoffs and play on the wing uh, but uh, those are the discussions that I had with my, with my uh, coaching staff to be a little bit harder maybe to play against uh, in our bottom six and and, and uh, stronger on the PK. One of the things you mentioned earlier is, you know, uh, finding players that, that fit better with, with our roster and, and getting the most of them that way. You know, you've added Heronic, that's a big piece on, on the back end. It, when it comes to, to fit, you know, th- those are – it almost feels like you know you're you're downplaying talent a little bit, but fit matters so much. And my f- feeling on this roster in, in the past, Patrick, even before you got here, is uh, things just it was kind of fitting square pegs in, into round holes. And at least from my perspective, one thing I've noticed is is you and Rick Tockett seem to be more on the same page of what exactly it is you need to find and add to this roster. Yeah, I, and I, 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 that was a big thing for me when I did the coach search there and, and having, um, uh, being in line. So we're sending the same mes- message to the players. So the players, uh, you know, they trust, uh, they trust uh, the coaching staff when they're walking in. They know their roles. They know, they know their responsibilities. Um, and I think that's, it's a different uh, the talent uh, that you need to have to to be able to play in, in uh you know, in the bottom six here. Um, saying that, though, I, I'm very excited about uh, the younger players that, that we had in Abbotsford this year. Um, what they went through playing in the playoffs, uh, bigger games, uh, understanding that this is, there is a difference playing in the regular season in the playoffs environment. And and some of those players, I uh, 
I'm very optimistic and excited about that internally we, we have some, some competition here and, and looking forward uh, for training camp with uh, some of the younger players coming in and understanding how we want to play and, and, and make, uh, making our jobs uh, harder by uh, you know, competing for, for uh, spots. And you guys finally do have some cap space and flexibility, like you mentioned, and you said the intention is to improve the team. And what we've seen in the past in this market has been times when there has been flexibility and then it's been misspent in some ways. So when it comes to the money you have and how you're going to allocate it, how, like, it's always important not to make mistakes, but how critical is it in terms of making sure you extract proper value with the space you do have still remaining and not maybe taking a risky bet on something that could be, you know, onerous down the road? I, I think it's extremely important. Uh, and I think that's where, since I got in here, uh, the, the the message to, to my scouting staff too, to, uh, again, the pro guys being experts with their team, they, they should know um, what we're getting into in terms of, uh, uh, terms with with signing uh, free agents, uh, you know, we, we uh, want to make sure we really know what uh, you know what what role player we're putting in here and, and spending the money uh, wisely, uh, so we get the, the full value out of uh, those contracts. Do you have like a a region or a, a no fly zone that that you're willing to go to with with free agents when it comes to to term? <laughs> I. It's it's hard to say. Uh, uh, every case is is different, and uh, uh, it definitely needs to fit uh, again how we want to play. But also moving forward here, I think we got some young pieces that are, uh, you know, I I don't want to create a block where we where we can't uh, give our, one of the younger players a chance. I, I think last year nobody. Nobody was counting on Nils Amon to uh, to make the roster uh, on the opening night, and he did. And I think that's just uh, we want to see more uh, younger players taking taking a big step and and um, as I said, pushing for those uh, roster spots. Patrick, always appreciate the time. Uh, safe travels to Nashville. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All the best to you guys too. There is Patrick Alvine, Canucks general manager, joining us here exclusively on Canucks Central. KG as always. Not giving us a ton. No. And I mean, and, you know, usually he will probably be a little bit more forthcoming. I guess with the drafting week away, it's kind of yeah. like be very cagey and careful with what you give up and whatever. But it's like it's like he's always done. I think the best example of this is anytime he speaks about JT Miller. They gave the man an eight, a seven-year contract extension yes. worth $8 million per season. You know, they're, they're clearly committed to him. The coach likes him. They want to keep him. But he always kind of says, well, he's not, he, he said, he's not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm not going to trade JT. Yes. Or, probably not. But So he leaves all door, doors open to that aspect. aspect. And I, I thought us trying to get to, okay, what are you willing to do with the money here? Like, are you willing to be patient and do some small things perhaps here and, and be measured in your approach? And he, he gave that aura. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, we have young players we want to give chances to. We got to be careful with what we do and all that sort of stuff. But he also left the door open for the right guy. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we, we don't have a limit we won't go to. And I think all along, this has been their MO, too, that they are looking at some high end guys if they can acquire them. But you're not going to force it. Or at least you shouldn't force it. Yeah. And uh, they're really happy. Not that they're you know banking on some of these young players to come in and. Um, you know, play huge roles on the team for next year, but they don't want to block 
their pathways in a significant yeah. way to stop people from progressing through the organization. Just like we talked about with OEL, if he had to remain here, forget about the cap hit and everything, but you have to get a lefty defenseman in that yeah. can kill penalties. You have no road then for Hirose, for Rathbone even, for, yeah. Reed, you know, Willannon and Elias Patterson in a year maybe, or somebody else who emerges, Breezebois, for instance. And on the right side, same thing, right? Like if you're, depending on what you do with Myers and depending on what you do with whoever you bring in, are you looking at bringing two guys in long-term mm-hmm. or are you looking to bring one guy in long-term, let Myers expire and leaves a spot open for one of these guys to be there? So I think you also have to be cognizant about not only giving opportunities for players potentially, but having pathways for them so you can develop them or at least bring them along slowly at the NHL level. It's a very clear um, it's a very clear priority for the team. Like It's not just about getting the most talented player in here. They are very cognizant of finding the player that fits yeah. their vision of the way they want to play. And the position they are trying to fill. So, yeah, like Shane Gostisbehere might be, you know, one of the more talented left shot defensemen on the market this summer. They have zero interest in bringing in a player like Shane Gostisbehere. Exactly. And you know what? Like, uh, my word of advice, uh, and I don't mean this in a condescending yeah. way. I'm just saying, like, in terms of, especially to, to the questions we asked, and I think you asked about identifying roles now for him, being on the same page with the coach. And he said, yeah, you have to look at a role for each guy, especially on the bottom six and who you bring in. Like, you bring somebody into the bottom six, can he play on Can he play on the PK? Can he do certain things? So when you look at defensemen even and say, can this guy be an option? Go to the hockey reference page, scroll down, and go to ice time based on shorthanded and see if they play on the PK. Mm-hmm. Do they play on the PK? Is that an yeah. option? If they don't, probably Pro- an issue. Probably not going to work. Here, yeah. You know what I mean? And same thing, go through certain things and look at, do guys play on the PK? Up front, for instance. Look at a forward that you think Vancouver could be interested in. Look at their profile. You know, it's not just about a top six guy. And the reason Barbership comes up, and, you know, you can't go and overspend on a guy like that. He, You know, like I mentioned, I could see them being interested. I think he's a player they like. And, you know, I think it's been reported in the past that they're, he's a player they like. But you can't go and give him six times six. Yeah. But the profile of the player is big, fast, physical, good on the forecheck, can PK a little bit, can play center if need be, can take some draws. Now, he's not great at playing center and and winning draws all the time, but he has some flexibility. He can do different things for you, and he fits their style of play, for instance, right? On the lower end, if you're looking at a bottom six guy, look at what they do. Same thing for defensemen. People ask about Eric Carlson all the time. There's no way this team has any interest in Eric Carlson. None. Zero. Whatsoever. None. It's not the player that they think they need to add to this roster. Um, On moving up in the draft, it's one of the things we learned about Potentially what they're looking at doing over the next 10 days mm-hmm. as we get to free agency on July 1st. What else did we learn from hearing from Patrick Alvine today? We'll get into that and more with you next on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, just uh, finishing up our conversation there with Patrick Alvin And KG as ever, the Canucks general manager, not giving us a ton as uh, he often does. He's gotten quite good 
at yeah. this uh, whole talking around questions. And it is, you know, it's it's a time of year where you know, we're trying to get them to give us some information, trying to get them to mm-hmm. at least shed some light on what the Canucks might be looking for. And the main media talked to him for about half an hour earlier today. We spoke with him there for about 12, 14 minutes. And out of all of it, what did we learn, Sat, while Alvin talked his way in and out of questions and trying to not give us too much information? Man, I mean, it's it's really not much that we haven't discussed already. Like, we knew the types of players they're after and yep. what they want to accomplish and the options they have available to them. Looking for better fits to the roster, help to yeah. fit roles on the PK and different things like that. He refused to uh, name positions and types of players and list yep. the priorities, but it's pretty clear based on his general generalities, a third-line center, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some more sandpaper and checking um, on the wings as well in the bottom six, and then not to mention you need some help on the back end, especially on the PK side. You know, So... I think that was just more confirmation of what we've heard and discussed and kind of what what he knows about more than anything else. Do you want to get into the, the one that's probably the, the juiciest soundbite? And we joked about this. Yes. But moving up in the draft. Because I, I think out of everything he said, whether – and we'll get into whether we think there's actually substance to this mm-hmm. or not. But that's probably the, the biggest headline-grabbing thing he said outside of mentioning – a bit earlier about Tanner Pearson and that he's healing and he's hoping Pearson is hoping to be available for training camp. So outside of that, I'd say the moving up in the draft was the juiciest bit of news or the juiciest soundbite. Yeah. Let's hear it from Patrick Alvine himself so that there is no confusion on exactly what was said. This was uh, in his conversation with the main media. We followed up with it earlier in the program when we spoke to Alvin exclusively, but here is the quote on Patrick Alvin saying the Canucks would love to move up in the draft. Calls uh, regarding pick number 11, and, and I'm looking at uh, options if we're going to trade up. Uh, if, if, that's, if that's something we, we have a chance to do, uh, to get a player that their scouting staff has identified to be uh, uh, a more intriguing player than the one we're going to get at 11. So there is Patrick Alvin. Uh, had some discussions to move up, would like to move up if mm-hmm. there's a more intriguing player that our scouts believe in than what we might get at 11. Yeah. And when we spoke to him, he, I wouldn't say he downplayed it, but he wasn't quite as, let's say, as enthusiastic. (laughs) The quote with us uh, after we followed up, we won't just move up for the purpose of moving up or move down just to gain picks. We want to make sure that we get a quality player. Yeah, and he had also mentioned that there's been lots of interest in Mm -hmm. the 11th overall pick. So how much of that was him you know, throwing that out there for the big media veil, because these are the media veils other teams go through as well. They go through, you know, the team pre-draft, see if anybody gives anything away about anything and, and whatever. So did he do it for, for the camera, so to speak, and for the other general managers mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm willing to move up. Like, yep. I really want to move up. So if you're coming at me at number 11 to move down, to move down? Really? In this draft to move down? Yeah. You got to make it worth my while to consider it. So I mean, smokescreen season, right? Yeah, because he wasn't quite as enthusiastic about it when we were discussing mm-hmm. it with him. So, so, so that was my takeaway. I don't want to be a party pooper about you know fun and whatever, but that was kind of uh, my okay. takeaway. Uh, my personal opinion on this: um, there was a moment later in the news conference with Patrick Alvine where he he mentioned pa- Brian Burke. Yeah, and Brian Burke always wanting to move up in yes. the draft. <laughs> 
And Berkey, like, okay, yeah, he did it with the Sedins that year and all the, the, the moving and shaking you could possibly ever do at the NHL entry draft. Berkey found a way to do it to get both Daniel and Henrik Sedin with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. There was a lot of other times where he talked about moving up and it was a bunch of hogwash. Yes. <laughs> so I, you know, I kind of wonder how much of this was putting this out there, uh, throwing some bait down for the media and the sports talk radio shows and also a smokescreen for 31 other general managers to potentially bite on and at least have some wonder as to what exactly the Vancouver Canucks are up to with the 11th overall pick. So let's talk, just just let's for a moment entertain the idea of trying to move up. Okay. Right? He mentioned it. Like he mentioned it, you know, you know, he, you know, but he also mentioned it with Swedish media like uh, yeah. a month ago when he was, was, when he was over in Europe. And as we mentioned, he really talked up during, you know, uh, I translated a couple of Swedish media yeah. interviews and he spoke glowingly about Leo Carlson yes. during those as well. And so, I mean, if you're moving up, I, I don't see them moving up. Like, unless somehow Mitchkov is a couple picks away and they feel like they can do that or something. Like, moving maybe... up from 11 to 3 is unprecedented. Pretty in much. The, in the NHL. It's draft. not realistic. Yeah. We're, we're talking about, so Vancouver would have to give 11, obviously. You're yeah. giving next year's pick, which would be the Macklin Celebrini draft. At least that shapes up to be that draft. So if that's an unprotected pick mm-hmm. and they look at Vancouver and say, well, that's a team that we think can fall on its face. Mm-hmm. And if they do, then maybe it's like one of those, you know, Ottawa situations where you're getting a top five pick because they're overestimating. Like yep. maybe they, they short the pick in that sense. But that's just a starting point. Yep. Then there's plus plus. Is it actually three first round picks? Do the Canucks even have good enough prospects? And if Vancouver can offer that, why wouldn't St. Louis offer more, which they have three first round picks. They have the 10th overall pick. Yep. So... I think it would have to, it would cost you multiple first round picks. And if you are trading multiple first round picks, maybe you're willing to do it if you're not trading anybody off the roster. Yeah. But with their goal being the playoffs, are they going to be trading JT next year's pick and the 10th to go and get the third overall pick and, and get a guy who probably won't come to the NHL this year even? It doesn't add up. Doesn't track. No. It, it, the cost is just prohibitive. Yeah. Right? Like un, so unless like Columbus just looks at it and says YOLO whatever like we, we're going to go down we don't care we'll we'll take the 11th and next year's pick and put Coles in or whatever a Hoaglander or whatever like I just I mean we can talk about that's like it, it's not quite uh, Raymond Ballard in a second because <laughs> we're talking about first round draft picks here but it's like why would they accept that you yeah. know yeah it, it just doesn't it doesn't track it doesn't make a ton of sense for the Columbus Blue Jackets you know even if Carlson were to let's say drop down to four next Wednesday right yeah Columbus takes Will Smith instead of Leo Carlson what's the incentive for San Jose to drop down to 11 San Jose has I mean they're on on a longer term Yes. trajectory anyways why would they a either kick the can down the road more or why would they take a ready player made player like isn't it best in their best interest to take the best pos- prospect possible with mm-hmm. a top five pick in a very good draft yeah like this is the type of pick you want now they wished obviously with the season they had they would have had draft lottery luck mm-hmm. but you're still sitting there with a top four pick yep like this is what you rebuilt for having top four, top five picks. Like, why would you get rid of that? We still need foundational players to build around. It's the only. It's the easiest way to get to foundational players is in the top five. So it doesn't yeah. make sense. Doesn't track for San Jose. And then it's you know, it, let's say, I guess the other scenario that could play out if we're we're continuing down this road, yes, of trying to think of what Patrick Alvin has in mind if a situation pops up that the Canucks feel worthy enough to move up. Is it Matt Vay Mitchkoff 
falling down to seven or eight? So, so the consensus seems to be that if he gets to eight, yeah, he won't get past Washington. Now, how much of that is truth? How much of that is just narrative? Who knows, right? But if that's the actual sense, so that means if you're trying to get him, you have to get to number seven, mm-hmm. or if he falls, if he's available past eight, get up to nine, right? And like Jay mentions on Twitter, seeing them move up in the draft after watching them scratch and claw for every single point down the stretch would leave a terrible taste in my mouth. Like, I get that. And we, were, we talked a lot about, like, what happened down the stretch or whatever. But, like, if you have to go from 11 to 9 and give up, like, decent futures for it, that's a bit of a gut punch. And and, and I'm not saying – and here's the thing. I'm not saying don't it's do it. It's a great it. point about moving up in the draft after you right? played at a 100-point pace when you changed the coach. Like, like my our pushback was on – being a bottom five team, it was just yeah. really realistic about whatever. And people being like, they should have, should have finished fifth or sixth worst. It was like, that, that was not attainable. But seventh worst? Eighth yeah. worst? Ninth worst? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, but here's the thing. L- let's say that's that that's all true. Should it preclude you from taking an opportunity if one arises? Mm-hmm. Like, should you not do something because things didn't go your way? Or let's say you made a mistake or whatever. Just because you miscalculated or things didn't go your way or... Just because you missed an opportunity, does that mean you should also miss another another opportunity because right. you're afraid? If you believe that much in Matt Faye Mitchkoff and you want to trade whatever it's going sure. to take to trade up with Philadelphia to get to seven, uh, yeah, D- don't two wrong, two wrongs don't make a right. Precisely, yeah, and I agree. It would leave a real bad taste in your mouth. Yep. And you would grimace about it, and sure, it'd be an amazing talking point and, and a lot of. Uh, polarizing, you know, discussions around it, right? But and not to make excuses for them, but as we talked about in the moment, you know, going in March and and, and whatever else, they didn't. Let's not do this. Yeah, let's not do this. Dan. They did not foresee uh, the incredible <laughs> turnaround that they ended up having. <laughs> yeah, once they made the coaching change, because they did shut down a ton of players, and we're not doing that again. Okay, no. yeah, let's not do that again. We've done enough. But that. but I mean, like, to get up that high, yeah, right. So in like terms, Mitchkoff of- is the only one because you know he's a clear talent level above others okay. in, in the seven eight nine range right absolutely now so so i think that's pretty clear in terms of looking at moving up right like are they going to move up for a nate danielson willander type i don't see it as much as i you know i like willander and everything like you, that's not a guy you should be moving up for yeah like at 11 it's kind of let the draft come to you so they kind of seem to be in the same tier exactly. as each other right well and you know, so we've discussed quite a bit that tier, and I think there was something also he mentioned that was somewhat re- revealing. Maybe the most revealing stuff he said was the draft stuff. And if we take some of it at face value, him saying there's a drop off after number fifteen, mm-hmm. that was notable in terms of looking at the draft board and looking at how we view the top five, fifteen prospects, and also how far are they may be willing to move down. Because right. he also said, if we're moving down, we're moving down because we still want to get a great player. If we're moving up, it's for, it's for a specific really good player. Like, they're not just moving down to get extra picks. Yeah. Like, they're not going to go from, you know, 11 to 19 just because they're going to get an extra second-round pick out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think... It, now, it all depends on how the draft breaks because they have a top 15. Let's say that you get to number 11 mm-hmm. and you still have seven of your top 15 left. What does that mean? That means you can go down to 18. Yeah, and get one of your guys potentially. So it really depends on how the draft kind of breaks for you. But as we sit here today, if the Canucks are trading down ahead of the draft, I don't see them going down below fifteen. I think that was that was interesting. Him mentioning that there is a cutoff yeah. of fifteen. If you're trading down, it it happens on the draft floor. Yeah, right. And it happens when you know teams are on the clock and and those kinds of things. You get the phone call from a team that's you know three or four slots down, and they're like, "Man, we got to get that guy. We'll give you a second and a third or yeah. whatever else." And uh, let's let's make this move. But it just 
it felt like um I don't want to say lip service because it's not out of the realm of possibilities that this type of thing could happen for the Canucks, but um, it felt like Patrick giving us something to chew on when he wasn't giving us much else to chew on moving up in the draft. Right. I did say that the list is not yet finalized as well to stick on the draft. Yeah, and it was interesting because of a question you asked, and we've been talking about this quite a bit, the importance of the interviews, the player interviews. And, well, that's another thing he was somewhat revealing about. It's important. Yeah. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) He got... got Pretty, uh, you know, he was he was really intrigued to answer that question. He was impassioned. Yes, yes. Uh, he was pa- impassioned about talking. But, uh, relatively speaking, on I the mean, scale, I, on, I on really want to know scale, what they yeah. had for dinner in Buffalo with all those guys. Anyways, um, a lot of dinners, the Bensons and the and the Danielsons, and they the have world. more dinners coming up mm, in Nashville. More dinners, hopefully one with Shemeshev. But um, <laughs> he really loved that guy. <laughs> it's uh, it is interesting, you know, to to hear that. Uh, about the interview process and and getting you know a, a better sense of the character that they're about to draft so clearly it feels as though there is something to read into those mm-hmm. that they have confirmed or that we've confirmed through reporting from others that were in buffalo and whatever else who they had dinner with and what that means to their list why it's not finalized well there's still some guys that they might end up seeing going into Nashville. Yeah, and, you know, some of these Russian guys haven't been here yet. Yeah. You know, like, they weren't at the Combine, and, and like everybody has mentioned, it's been very difficult to not only see those guys live in action, but also get FaceTime with those guys. And the hope is they're going to be in Nashville. Mitchkov will be, and if Shimashev is there, I, I would I would expect they sit down with him. I'm mm-hmm. not reporting anything. I'm just kind of uh, looking at it and saying I would expect they sit down with him as well. That, that's a guy that they want to talk to. Yeah. And I think once you get through the next however many interviews they have left, probably two or three, you know, a couple, then they'll get a real sense of what that draft list truly looks like. But I think that's notable that the interviews mean a lot. And like we said before, when we look at last year, mm-hmm. they sat down with like Mackey and those guys and they ended up drafting him. So they're probably going to draft one of the people they sit down and talk to. Um, a lot of uh, questions coming into the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep those coming. We will... Mm-hmm. Uh, answer some of those as the show goes on here. Also, Harmon Dial will join us coming up in hour two of the program. Other things we learned from Patrick Alvine's availabilities today. Tyler Myers is coming back. Yes. At least in all likelihood, Tyler Myers is coming back. He referenced, uh, look, they bought out OEL. They have injury concerns with Ethan Bear. Whether or not they bring back Ethan Bear. We still think that that is more likely than not, sitting from where we sit today. But on Tyler Myers, it's kind of hard to go into the season. You lose two guys that played important roles for you last year, and you're going to trade away a third one. Mm -hmm. That's really hard for a team to replace all of those minutes that they had on their back end last year. And he you know, mentioned Myers going to the Worlds, winning that gold medal, getting some confidence back, and more importantly, felt that Myers really benefited from the coaching change and playing with a more in a more structured environment. Yeah, and, you know, if you're getting rid of Tyler Myers, what are you getting rid of it for? Right. Right now they have some flexibility and some space, but it's like, like we mentioned before, everybody wants a righty defenseman. Yes. How many can you realistically add? Like yesterday we spoke to Mike Harrington from Buffalo. Mm -hmm. What are the Sabres looking for? 
righty defenseman that can play some defense. <laughs> what the Sabres have, lots of assets. Yes. A lot of competition for the good righty defenseman, especially on the trade market. So what's to say that Vancouver would even win? And we even saw this last year, right? When well, this is were... why they went and got Heronic when they did. Well, it's yeah. like, well, okay, we're like... We... We don't know if we can get this player later on. Well, and even last year, Rutherford mentioned they were in on pretty much every defenseman on the trade market and missed out because yeah. their offers weren't good enough compared to other teams because they only have so much to offer. So it's not it's easy to say, go and get two righty, two defensemen. I think it's realistic for you to maybe get one. It's hard to get two. So if, you get, if you're trading Myers now, you're doing so because you feel like you can replace him somewhere. And, and what, what I mean by that, too, is it's not that Myers is, is um, critical to this team having success, but... It's $6 million in cap space that's going to come free for you next year. Yeah. If you're making a trade and taking something back, do you want to take anything back right now beyond this season? That's number one. Number two, he's going to have more value at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Or in, during the season when the money's paid off, you can retain salary too, like injuries happen. If he bounces back even a little bit. So why would you take an L on the asset today for no reason? Yeah. Unless you have something actually to spend it on. I think that's part of the reason why. I mean, we can sit here and say, yeah, clear the space, go and get two defensemen. You might be lucky to get one defenseman. It's uh, getting more than one defenseman. I mean, look, generally, how many defensemen that you overpay for in free agency end up turning out all that well? Mm-hmm. It's uh, a rarity, not just from the Canucks history, but you go around the league and it's where a lot of teams make a lot of mistakes. Uh, to continue on the Brian Burke train, uh, since he was mentioned earlier, uh, you know, spending a ton of money to get Mike Komisarek in free agency for Toronto. And that blew up in his face immediately. Mike Komisarek now, uh, you know, with the Canucks development staff as well, but it was not a good fit. It's, it's tough, you know, free agency or buying guys that are generally past their prime. And even if we talk about some of the players that they've been linked to already, you know, Ryan Graves, do you really want to pay $5 million for that player. Uh, a Carson Soucy hasn't played more than 18 minutes on average in any season of his Has, NHL career. Hasn't even played 18 minutes yeah. in a season. So At least Tucker Pullman played 18 minutes a game before he got four years at 2.5. Carson Soucy has had a ton of success being a third-pair defenseman, mm-hmm. but now you're going to pay him close to $3 bucks a year and expect him to play a more elevated role and have success in it? That's, that's a big ask. Well, and that's why, like, you know... As much as a guy like Ryan Graves may make sense in terms of profile, does it make sense at the number for a defensive defenseman? Yeah. And he would be a roadblock to some guys potentially. Like mm-hmm. the thing with Susie at least, and and maybe if they do sign a player like that, it shows kind of the intent of what he mentioned. They want to be measured with how they go about things. Because Susie's a guy that, hey, maybe you think can stopgap here, and, and maybe you think you project can play with Heronic or perhaps even with Hughes on the right side as a lefty because he has that experience. That once you do that... You can you can elevate him and he's going to be a good fit and then all of a sudden you have a bargain yeah at two point seven five or two point five or whatever it is he ends up signing for and that would be the best case scenario but if he's just okay and somebody else emerges well he plays in your third pair and you out of the contract in a couple of years and it's not really onerous like is that the better more measured way to go about in free agency it probably is and it maybe fits the philosophy of what he's been mentioning here to not create big roadblocks for some of our young defensemen. We'll get more into the offseason planning and uh, what we learned from chatting with Patrick Alvin today when we chat with Harmon Dial next on Canuck Central.